Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, console gaming related, all the fun stuff. Uh, today is Friday, April 23rd, 2021. I hope all of you are safe and well. Uh, as many of you are aware, uh, this was Apple Spring Loaded Week, their event week uh, that occurred a few days ago. Always lots of interesting stuff to talk about. And I uh, wanted to get this in before the um, the weekend uh, cropped up on top of us. Uh, for today's podcast, I want to bring together uh, a person who you um, have known well. You've read read his work. Uh, he's written for USA Today and Yahoo Tech. Uh, that's Rob Pegarero. Rob, introduce yourself to the the huge audience that we have here for the Smart Tech Check podcast. Hey, people, how are you doing? <laughs> now we normally have John Quain. Um, and uh, Stuart Walpin, I don't know what they were doing. I couldn't possibly understand what was more important than this podcast, but they had a conflict this morning. So it's just Rob. We'll have to ably fill in uh, and uh, fill in the gaps here. But uh, I'm sure we'll, hopefully we'll do a uh, hopefully a, a pretty uh, credible job at least. So, so Rob, uh, as I'm pulling up the topics here, what kind of struck you about um, really at a high level about the uh, the, the spring-loaded event. And the reason why I'm setting it up before I bring up the topics is that a number of the uh, journalists and other analysts that I've spoken to, you know, they're, they're getting a little bit tired of Apple having these announcement events when, well, you know, and I had a couple of them say the exact same things to me that, hey, we, they could have really announced all of this stuff in a press release. They really didn't have to take an hour's worth of my time. So, um you know, what are your thoughts on that? that. I, was, I was watching, you know, I, I didn't get to watch it live at the time because I was doing a panel from one event or another. And I was watching it that night and my wife heard it and she said, it's an ad. I'm like, exactly. This is what I've been watching at every single tech event ever for the last 20 years. It's always an ad. But when it's just streamed, there's no hands-on area. You can't inspect the merchandise and you lose something. That's why that that's what I really miss about not having in-person events. You, know, you yep. can't actually look at it, be like, okay, where are they stick the headphone jack? What's the arrangement of ports like? How does the phone feel in the hand? Uh, instead, you're just looking at a very well-produced, very slick video production that is no real substitute for actually getting your hands on the, uh, right. the computer, gadget, tablet, phone, what have you. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And we'll get into that when we get into the, the, the product stuff. Uh, itself, but and then that's not just an Apple issue, of course. That's an issue that the fact that yeah. we've gone virtual in all of these events. But you know, there is something to be said about the fact that after you get these um, presentations in person, normally nine times out of ten, the real products are there, and you get a chance to play with them, and 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 you know, get a lot of questions answered that may not be answered during the the broadcast or the presentation itself. But before we get into the um, uh, the Apple announcement. Uh, um, component of the podcast. You wanted to talk a, a bit about, uh, you had some tales of your testing of 5G hotspots that I think will be interesting. It might be yeah, actually so a bit up to some other stuff. But yeah, I'd love to get your your two, your uh, thoughts on that. I've been working on this. It's an update for the New York Times Wirecutter site. I maintain a few different guides to them. And the one that just updated uh, yesterday, actually, is the guide to Wi-Fi hotspots, which has been around so long, it was originally a guide to 4G LTE hotspots. The last year's update, I looked at one Verizon 5G hotspot that was terrible. Like it couldn't mm -hmm. even share more than, I think, 350 megabits per second of bandwidth over Wi-Fi, which wasn't even documented on Verizon's site. They replaced that one. T-Mobile has come out with a hotspot that is quite good, actually. And AT&T has a 5G hotspot that is now available for consumers. 
and that, 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 by the way, that, that, that's the 5g hotspot manufactured by netgear uh yeah exactly i've got it this is not it uh this one here the nighthawk 5g mobile hotspot yes. pro it's a real name written by a committee uh i have only two <laughs> of these three and i'll explain why in a second this is the verizon m2100 5g hotspot and T-Mobile's is the M2000. It looks exactly like this, except it doesn't have the Verizon 5G logo on the back. And testing these three around the DC area really laid bare the differences between the three carriers and how they approach 5G. AT&T, they basically only have low band 5G on the same frequencies they use for LTE right now. So it's not a huge upgrade in speed. Uh, the AT&T 5G hotspot had the least impressive results by a pretty big margin. They have mm -hmm. millimeter wave, which is really fast and incredibly fragile and short range. It's not anywhere around D.C. The closest city they list is Baltimore. I said, can you tell me where I would find it? Like, I'll walk around the Inner Harbor if you want. And they said, it doesn't really represent what we can do, so we're not going to tell you, <laughs> which is like an interesting approach to PR. But there you go. Yes. Uh, Verizon started by selling, leaning heavily into millimeter wave. And so I decided... I'll look at their coverage map, see where exactly can you, uh, do they list a 5G signal? And I'll take this thing with me and my iPad and run the speed test app, see what I get. Most of those locations, I did not see the millimeter wave signal with Verizon sells as ultra wideband. Uh, and so this was pretty disappointing. Verizon also has low band 5G, which again is not a huge advance over what you have over LTE, which I should add Verizon's LTE can be amazingly fast. I clocked it over. 200 megabits per second down at one location in DC, which mm -hmm. you'd think that's a 5G speed. T-Mobile has millimeter wave like nowhere. So forget about that. They have low band pretty much nationwide and they have mid band 5G on these 2.5 gigahertz frequencies T-Mobile got when they bought Sprint. That yields good results and not just if you're at the right part of the block on the exact right square inch of the street corner. And that's got real potential and that's what T-Mobile is using to roll out home broadband, wireless home broadband without a data cap. And really? Really? Without, without a data cap? Yeah. Which Verizon also has no data cap 4G home broadband and millimeter wave 5G home broadband that like no one can get. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason why I don't have the T-Mobile hotspot is I was checking various addresses and there's a good friend of mine who lives in Alexandria, Virginia, which despite being right across the Potomac from DC, only has Comcast. Verizon never built out Fios there. And so it's a captive market. And my friend there is not the happiest Comcast customer. I think he, he is uh, direct TV for the Sunday ticket. So he doesn't need Comcast for cable. And so I said, well, you know what? T-Mobile says your house can get their 5G home service. Why don't you borrow this hotspot? Tell me how it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm to see what his uh, findings are, but um, I'd be very excited if, if, this is a case where T-Mobile is introducing competition into a local broadband market. Any um, um, data you can share on what the um, the data plans look like for these hotspots? Are they are they affordable? Or are they hey only for really business users who you know in a, in a pinch when they don't have you know really good connectivity they can go to it? Is it is it really consumer friendly from a pricing standpoint? Not super consumer friendly. With AT and T and Verizon, the pricing is a little confusing and it's not that generous. You don't get more than thirty gigs which you can get that kind of allocation with a phone's mobile hotspot feature. You mm -hmm. might not want to, because if you're leaning on your phone's mobile hotspot function that much, 
you're going to have no battery life and it's going to constrain the phone's own bandwidth. Uh, T-Mobile has got some really generous data plans. At least when I checked, they're up to 100 uh, gigabytes a month, which you could see that working for somebody who say they only have an iPad at home. They don't have that much data consumption in the first place. That's aggressive pricing. It matches what Sprint had had before, and that's got a little more potential. The wrinkle with this is if you happen to live someplace that has Verizon millimeter wave 5G and you can get it somewhere indoors, which is probably not going to happen. This is mm -hmm. really fragile, a, a faint signal. Uh, there's no limit on your mobile hotspot use of those frequencies. It's not super well advertised. It's this, I, I compared Verizon's 5G pricing to a series of nesting dolls in a piece <laughs> I did for the trade publication light reading last week. Uh, it's really confusing. And uh, again, it comes back to spectrum. T-Mobile can be generous with their 5G bandwidth because they have these mid-band frequencies, 2.5 gigahertz. There's not a whole lot of users on that. So they have capacity. Verizon has a lot of capacity in millimeter wave, but that capacity is available in very few parts of the US. And at AT&T and Verizon, the low band frequencies, you already have tens of millions, hundred million people on them. So there isn't a lot of bandwidth to spare. Rob, are you there? Still there? Yep. Yeah, yes, I, I thought you got cut off. Um, I was waiting for you to, to say something incredibly <laughs> profound. And, and uh, no, it's never gonna happen. Um, well, the 5G topic is going to come up when we get into the, uh, and I want to get into the Apple stuff right away because it yeah. really, to me, you know, there's still this topic of, well, whether it's a hotspot based or whether it's, it's, it's 5G service that's, that's, you know, your smartphone based. The question really is, is it worth it yet? You know, and you, know, you and I have talked about this repeatedly is that, you know, the, the, from, because the service availability has been uneven to say the least across the country yeah. and, you know, and, um, the pricing plans, as you even for hotspots, you know, you're saying is not tip, not really, not that incredibly attractive. You know, I don't see you telling me, "Hey, Mark, 5G is you got to be there. If you're not with 5G, yeah, there, you, there. you, you, you're not, you haven't been messaging that to me, and I don't think that's changed. Am I correct? Yeah, the, the game changer potential here is, you know, setting aside industrial uses, Internet of Things, enterprise connectivity, that sort of stuff for individual customers. Which are, which are, which by the way, are important applications. I, you know, yeah, those, those yeah, are don't knock it. Um, but for, for you, the individual user thinking, what phone should I get next? The game changer is going to be if 5G can get you broadband at home or your vacation oh. home or wherever, or if it gets you a second choice in those markets. Because so many parts of the U.S., uh, at best, it's a local cable monopoly. So you'd better like that company because you got nobody else to choose from. At worst, it's some aging, under-maintained DSL connection which is maybe six or three megs down. And, you know, that used to be fast, like in 2000, and, and now it's just not competitive at all. Mm -hmm. And 5G, even if it's only 50 megs down, would be a huge upgrade. Right. No, I agree with you. I think that's going to be the magic, um, uh, the magic uh, uh, test in that when 5G comes along where I can replace potentially that broad, that uh, wired connection, um, that uh, uh, broadband uh, connection that I have in my home vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Comcast or some other type of broadband service that I can, you know, a, for, from a competition standpoint, that's always great. You know, competition yep. hopefully drives prices down. But for the ability to be able to replace the existing broadband connection with a all-you-can-eat family plan, uh, 
you know, that to me is where the, the game changer part, part could be, but you know, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Our hopefully. friend Avi Greengard, I talked to him for a USA today piece about this. And his point was, even if 5g from T-Mobile home broadband isn't competitive with cable downloads, it's still going to force the incumbent to do better because there actually will have competition. They can't just assume that anyone who can sign up will, because the alternative is being offline. Right. Well, let's jump back uh, into the uh, spring loaded event. I love the uh, Apple's names. They, they probably spend millions of dollars coming up with names yep. like spring loaded. Just really quickly before we get into the product piece. I mean, how, you know, as someone who's, you know, in the tech space, you know, you, you know, you eat, drink and sleep tech every single day. Does events like the Apple event, because, you know, Apple is one of the singular companies that when they, they they can do an event about anything and the world stops for 24 hours. I mean, I know companies that when they have pre-existing events that occur on a certain day and when Apple announces, hey, they're going to do something four or five days before, which is essentially what happened when spring loaded. I mean, they, yeah. they, they announced it last week. You know, the, the, the other companies have to move their events because they know that the Apple event will, will, will knock them off the, um, the, the, the front page. And I'm talking about big companies, by the way, not small companies. Uh, so Apple, you know, is one of the singular companies that has that kind of presence in the marketplace. As a journalist who's in the space, you know, does, and, and we haven't gotten into the product piece yet, does it bother you a bit when Apple comes out with these announcements that, you know, for other companies they could they could do things like this via via a press release? Or do you did did you, do you learn things that you um, Vis-a-vis uh, -vis the live, well, they're not live presentations. They're all pre-recorded and, and yeah. done in a very, you know, Hollywood fashion. None of that was live. That was done on Tuesday. But what's your perspective from a value standpoint for you personally? Uh, yeah, for me, I do. I, I don't get as much out of it as I could as, as if I were there and right after the event, there'd be the hands-on area in the room next yeah. door, and you can inspect the stuff. But of course, I mean, I haven't been to one of those events in however many years because wherever place I'm writing, usually somebody else gets the the one Apple invite extended. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, my bigger problem is just with the collective freak out every time there's a new Apple announcement. I'm like, it's okay if they have incremental updates. You know, you don't need to stop everything. I, I looked at one uh, client, their, their Slack, uh, one of their, their tech news channels, which is dozens of messages. And I was catching up on this halfway through the event. I'm like, did Tim Cook start the event by launching a nuclear strike at a Facebook data center? Because this seems like a lot of fuss over, you know, a new desktop and some uh, Bluetooth uh, item tracker tags. Uh, but yeah, that said, I mean, Apple, good production values. You, you, you at least learn most of what you want to about the hardware. And then initially, not initially, but, you know, a few hours later, Apple has their Q&A sessions with various reporters and you learn other tidbits that weren't quite mentioned that are helpful to figure out what are their priorities, what might the product lineup look like in another three or six months. I, I will tell you, I, I was a bit nervous because five minutes into the into the um, event broadcast, Tim Cook was talking about, hey, we were introducing a brand new color purple into the into the iPhone 12 family. And I was saying, I cannot believe that's what they're leading with. I mean, and I know I thought of our friend, Andrea Smith, purple is their favorite color. So they're obviously going for the Andrea Smith demographic with that. And, and hey, I, I watched it with my mom and she immediately said, oh, I would buy purple. But it, it just seems a bit disproportionate that that would be the first. I think that followed the credit card piece that the, he was talking about. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I Maybe he had, it, you know, 
they really want to satisfy the, the marketing people within Apple who, who handle colors and they just wanted to make sure they gave it its due. But uh, I was a bit, you know, um, uh, surprised at that. I mean, the big news, of course, and I brought it up on the screen over here was the Apple AirTags piece. To me, that was, um, I mean, it's, it, it was, it's been a bad rumor for the last, you know, year or so that they were going to get into the, uh, a, uh, the AirTags category, which is a tile-like product. Um, yep. And uh, I, you know, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, if you look at the math, purely in the math, you know, they, they have, they, I've, they claim they have a billion, you know, active Apple devices out there, you know, at $29, if they sell 50 million of these, you know, which is not yeah. a big number, you know, that's, that's probably a layup, frankly, it's a billion dollar plus business for them. You know, it, it really yeah. is amazing. And, and I, and I, again, I think 50 million is a small number. Now, I think that if I'm the uh, the uh, the CEO of Tile, um, okay, here's a, the, the the big gorilla getting into the market. Uh, that that will be that will, that will be an interesting um, that will be an interesting dynamic to see how that plays there. But and you could also argue that Apple's legitimizing the market, although Tile I think legitimizes the market. Usually, when the, the the company that's in the market uh, has some much bigger company arrive and the existing company says this really legitimizes the market, that means they're doomed. Like you're about to get crushed. You know, it's great that Microsoft thinks this is a real market back in the day, or now it's Apple. But yeah, usually when the CEO of the little company says, this really legitimizes what we've been doing, that bad things are afoot. Right. Well, you, but you know, what's interesting about this, a couple of things in my view is that first of all, unlike Tile and other products that are like that, the um, AirTags has to be, you have, you know, it looks like a coin. And it has yeah. to be, uh, you know, it has to be housed in some type of holding battery piece. Can, replace? can you believe and the that battery, in Apple products? Yeah. I, I'm shocked. And it's a battery, by the way, you don't have to go to Apple for it. It's a, as I get it, it's a, a 2032 battery that you can yeah. buy uh, in Target, you know, which is great. So I think that's terrific. But the, the interesting to me is that this instantly is going to spin off a multi-million dollar business with companies now who are going to be in the business of selling very fashionable tags for it. So that, to me, that's yet another, you know, uh, uh, tangential business that Apple will um, that will Apple will enable. But the thing I want to get your opinion on is now that there's going to be millions of these sold. Yeah. Are you, what about the privacy implications of this? Because when you think about it, and and we'll get into it, there are are some what I'm calling anti-stalker features bought, uh, built into it. Yeah. You know, which I think are key. Samsung is doing the same thing on their side, which I think is important. But um, what are your feelings on that? Do you think, uh, you know, would you go out and buy these and have this, these on, on all your luggage, on well, bags? Because they have an Android phone, so that won't really work unless okay, I... Okay, okay. You're not part of the ecosystem. But from what I've seen, Apple has done the work to make sure this is privacy preserving. I mean, that's something that in general they know how to do. Uh, the fact that they thought to add an anti-stalking feature. So if, if somebody else has left an air tag around you, you'll see an alert yeah. that it's a tag you didn't place there. Right. And that's good. That means that they tried to do some harm reduction, that they talk to people who might've been in the situation because there's a bad habit in the industry of designing things that work great. If you know, you have no experience of stalking and you're at no risk of that. And you don't think of the potential for harassment. And I mean, look at airdrop <laughs> where Apple devised this thing that lets a complete stranger push a picture to your iPhone or a, or a video or a video, or a video. And there, and you know, in the early days yeah. there, were, there were horror stories, as you, as you recall, about people, airdropped 
and yes. the picture on an airplane. <laughs> yes, that's correct. And unfortunately, the flight attendant cannot locate the culprit and transfer him to the cargo hold. So <laughs> it looks well, I, like I, I, their tags, Apple did actually do their homework and think, how can we we block the, the most likely uh, failure modes of this when uh, mean, cruel, hostile people get a hold of one of these things? Well, you, you could see, you know, potentially bad people, you know, uh, take this to the bottom of, of a car, you know, yep. and... And and all of a sudden now I've got a very inexpensive device you know device tracker and I'm tracking my I'm stalking my ex girlfriend I, I don't have a yeah. I'm not well, actually people have asked can I use this on my dog <laughs> Which, yes and can I use this on my kid and Apple's response has apparently been um, your tags are meant to be used on devices not not living creatures the creatures but, but there will be people who do that there will be people that who use do case that. is legit it is legit and it's funny because there there are. A, a couple of companies out there that have tracking devices for, for animals, for dogs that immediately probably are going to say, Oh my, wow. They, they may have a, a, a business problem now, now that Apple's getting into yeah. this. Space. Right. But so, so we've got air tags out there. The other biggie was two other biggies. We'll love to get your view on this. They did announce a, a swanky new, very thin down uh, replacement for the, um, the smaller form. When I say smaller form factor, the smaller screen size, the old 21 inch, um, iMac, they replaced it with a 24 inch uh, with M1, their new Apple Silicon, not unexpected. Um, I'm thinking, I, but uh, I thought the design was very, very cool. Um, I thought the um, the only way, by the way, you can get to that kind of thin design and remove the, the internal fans, because if you, as you know, the, uh, the uh, LCD display inside that housing throws off heat. It's not just the processor. Yeah. So their ability, and they had a very nice graphic during the presentation showing how much um, you know infrastructure they were able to take out of the product to thin it down. I thought was pretty impressive. But they also spent a lot of time, you know, improving the camera, improving the um, uh, the microphone uh, array setting, which I think is kind of a, a, a nod to the work at home user because, as you know, you know, microphone capability on laptops, including the webcam, is not exactly. Uh, a great experience for many people, especially if you've got a yeah. laptop from a couple of years ago. But what was your overall impression with the uh, with that portion of the announcement? Yeah, so the the new iMac looks like a really great piece of industrial design, and I don't want it. I have gotten pretty turned off on the idea of an all in one computer, yeah. in part because you have this display, which these days is I think in most configurations the iMac is a four K display. It's going to be good for so much longer than the guts of the computer itself. Uh, plus the way Apple has designed this thing, it's not going to be an all-in-one. It only it only has four ports on the back. They're USB-C or Thunderbolt. So you're going to need an adapter. You mm -hmm. will need some sort of, you'll probably need some sort of expansion dock. If you ever use like a micro SD card, you got to have your backup drive. Uh, so it's not an all-in-one in its own right. Uh, and meanwhile, the Mac mini with M1 looks better because it has more expansion ports. You can buy the monitor you want and use that with that computer with another one. Um, what I'm waiting to see is what I want to be able to buy is a Mac mini with this new keyboard with the touch ID button, yes. Yes. which is something I've been waiting for because like I use a password, one password and on my windows laptop, I can unlock it with my fingerprint Yes. on my Mac. I've got to type in the master password every time, which is dumb. Uh, now that said, but, but but if you had an Apple Watch, 
the Apple Watch. Wish, but I have an Android phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little confused why Apple decided to put the Touch ID button on the keyboard. They just could have put it on the computer. Like they, they probably had to invent some whole secured wireless protocol to make sure that works when you could just put the button on the computer. Right. But I guess it would, you would have a little, it would mar the perfection of the chin below the screen. Yeah. My uh, guess is that it was an aesthetics decision. That would be my guess. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, the way this connects, there's this magnetic connector for the power cable, which also doubles as data. There's an Ethernet port in the power brick at the end of this. Do you need a magnetic connector on a desktop? The whole point is you don't ever unplug it. That, that, was, I, that was curious to me. I mean, I mean, the, the, the MagSafe, it used to be called MagSafe. Uh, yeah. Those were on some of the older Macs. And I used to love that with laptops because how many times were you in a, in a, in a airport yeah. or someone would trip over the cable. And if you had a windows laptop, it'd go flying and break the screen in yeah. half. At least that, you know, would overcome that problem. So not sure why they did that, you know, with a desktop uh, computer. Yeah. Now, it, now it the year, all... no, go ahead, Rob. And, and so the third part of look at this is uh, on the two cheaper configurations of the iMac, it starts with a 256 gigabyte solid state drive. Why? How do you spend all this effort engineering a secure wireless protocol for biometric authentication, designing a magnetic plug for the power adapter, and then you cheap out on the solid state drive when it, they're practically free at sizes 512 gigs and below? Right. So, like, what's the focus here, guys? Can you tell me what you're doing? Because parts of this look like, you know, a, the amount of engineering to perfect a commonplace thing like the power plug is like a defense department procurement project gone wrong. And then you got this cheapskate hard drive, sorry, a solid state drive. Um, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, one can opine all day about the marking decisions they make in terms of, yeah. uh, you, and I talk, you and I have talked many, many times that that frustrates me with Apple because, you know, frankly, you know, the, the bigger problem is that all of this storage, you know, you know, especially um, uh, uh, solid state storage, is all yeah. factory enabled. You cannot buy aftermarket. You cannot buy an, um, uh, solid state storage that to embed inside the computer after the fact, and and that yeah. drives me crazy. Yeah, you can you can you can plug in external drives, but again with limited ports, then of course now you're daisy chaining yeah. stuff all over the place, and that becomes a bit of a mess. The the two things that I just want to bring up before we go to the last topic. Yeah that I did think they did a nice touch with the adding um, Ethernet network capability to the power brick. I yeah. thought that was a bit ingenious only because that one less cable, you know, and Apple's all about that. You know, how do you make things look more aesthetically organized and clean? So I thought that was interesting. But the other interesting question is that they did not announce a refresh to the larger iMac. And yeah. my guess is if I had to bet, you know, and I like to bet a few dollars every once in a while, is when they come out with an iMac Pro because they've kind of left that open, yeah. that probably they'll you'll probably see them introduce a new level of M1 silicon, either a faster piece M2 of silicon, an M2 or whatever, you know. Um, and God knows what premium that will sell for. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I to me that was the kind of thing that was a bit um, conspicuous that they didn't um, uh, they didn't backfill not backfill, but they didn't refresh that at this announcement. Um, yeah, so, and anyway. the, the higher end MacBook Pro is still Intel only, and that that computer yeah. is now getting pretty old. Right, and, 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 and by the way, it could be a supply chain thing too. I mean, yeah. you know, Apple is not impervious to some of these to the chip shortages that are going on right now. 
In fact, I did an interview with ABC uh, TV a couple of days ago, and uh, you know, Apple's business is so big and their procurement operations are so sophisticated. They can manage through demand you know, pretty well because they understand demand so well. But still, that may be one of the reasons, frankly, is that yeah. they, you know, that they right now that they um, just not in a position right now to um, refresh the iMac with a with, with a larger model with with uh, either the same silicon or different silicon. But, but it is only two months and change, I guess, till uh, WWDC, their worldwide developer conference. And that's always got some kind of pro hardware announced. And, and I suspect that's where probably that will happen. That will definitely yeah. happen. Then. So last thing I want to talk about is um, iPad Pro now with an M1. And I mean, yes, you know, for me, you know, Apple is increasingly taking the iPad Pro as a brand and they're positioning it really for hardcore creative professionals. Yeah, I mean, this is not the iPad you give to your mom so she can check the news and do some browsing. Well, I, I just just to state the obvious, you know that, that I mean, it, there's no question, you know that it's it's a beautiful piece of um, hardware. It's a very high performance piece of hardware. But you know, tell me what you think. But uh, you know, my view is that someone getting an iPad Pro with M1, uh, these are people who are creative professionals or are using it as a device as part of their job. You know, they're, they're creating incredible graphic illustrations. They're, you know, they're doing it on a, uh, they're using it on a, on a day-to-day -day basis and uh, for, you know, generating revenue for making a living. And the other thing, just to go back to the 5G topic that we led off with, it's going to have 5G. Yep. You know? So any thoughts on the, that new iPad Pro? So the, the number one critique I've seen is, you know, th this hardware looks great, but the operating system is not keeping up with the demands of a pro user. Like multitasking, switching between apps and iPadOS is not great. Uh, you know, half the time, you know, Safari's uh, implementation of multiple windows is awful. Like here's a great usability test to do with any non-technical user. Pick up their iPad, tap and hold on the Safari icon, select show all windows. How many windows do you see open? Well, I have a window open. I didn't know I had open. You'll probably see like 20 that they had no idea were there just because if you fat finger opening a link, it's in another window and then it's lost. Um, you know, so that whole experience is not great. And, and then there's the weird shortfall in features where, you know, iOS has widgets on the desktop, on the home screen, wherever you want. iPad doesn't. You have to put them on the leftmost home screen. Um, for some reason, the, the Translate app, you can have it on an iPhone, but not the iPad. Uh, Apple still hasn't figured out how to do a calculator app for iPad OS. Tim Cook's story to Marquise Brownlee <laughs> a couple of years ago was, we haven't, you know, we want to do something really great. It's a calculator. Just give me a big version of what's on the iPhone. Uh, again, Apple sometimes makes things more difficult than they have to be. Well, but, but let me seize on your question about the operating system. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I would love to see them do, and unfortunately just yesterday, uh, uh, Greg Drozwiak, who's the head of uh, marketing at Apple, he publicly stated that they're never going to merge or never yeah. say merge, but they're not going to bring um, um, uh, Mac OS and um, they're reiterating the, the party line, Mac OS and iPad OS together. And I would love, personally, I would love to see iPad Pro with a Mac OS operating system, very similar to the way that you see windows on a surface tablet, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but, and, and, you know, hope springs eternal. Maybe they'll, they'll do that. Again, they're publicly claiming they're never going to do that. They, you know, they believe in the touch interface for tablets. It's a click, um, it's a click and point 
uh, interface for the uh, for desktops and for laptops. But uh, yeah, I, I think well, Apple's selling themselves short there. I mean, like mm -hmm. as, as great as the Apple Silicon processors are, what Apple cannot give me is a laptop I can fold up and use as a tablet. Yep. That's the Windows only feature right now. And it's really good. It's really convenient to have that flexibility. Uh, but Apple, the only way you can get that experience is if I buy an iPad Pro and I was about to say type cover, that's the term for Surface, get one of their keyboard covers. And then I sort of have the same thing, but now you have this operating system that isn't really set up for switching among apps or bringing data into it from other devices, has all these issues you don't have with the Mac OS, but the Mac OS doesn't support touch. And it, it's like, you know, the, the iOS, iPad OS people and Mac OS, they must be on opposite sides of that spaceship campus. And they only meet in the middle at the cafeteria every now and then. Uh, it, it's a weird split. Well, and, and, and just the last closing comment I would make on that is that I my view is, is that because you're keeping it separate, a, a user like myself who would gladly give up a, cl a classic clamshell laptop computer and move to an iPad Pro if it had the Mac um, operating yeah. system with all of all the things that you've pointed out. What that points out, what that has forced me to do as as a day-to-day -day user is that when I refresh my iPads, which I do every couple of years, not as frequently as I, as I, as I refresh my phone, but I do refresh yeah. my iPads, I, I want to say every couple of years, maybe not, uh, again, uh, synchronized with their new launches, but I probably will uh, upgrade. I probably will not get the iPad, the larger iPad Pro because to take that with me on a trip, because I generally bring my, my laptop with me. Yeah. And my iPad, because my iPad's a very friendly tool for, for media consumption when I'm working out or if I'm having breakfast and I can have, you know, a nice handy device, you know, it's instant on, it's right there, and I'm off to the races. The, 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 the challenge with the larger iPad Pro is that it actually is pretty big. And that's what the virtue of it is that it's very, very big. The downside of it, it's also very big. And you feel like you're bringing a lot of hardware with you when you're traveling. So I, pro when I, you know, we, uh, when I probably refresh my iPad pro, the, the newer ones, I'll probably get the smaller version, not the, uh, not the larger version. Yeah. I'm actually an iPad mini user myself because that's even smaller, more portable, but here yeah. I haven't refreshed it in a while because Apple hasn't refreshed it in a while. This is basically, well, they did uh, refresh the iPad mini five. <laughs> it's been yeah. a while, but it's basically what you would get now. No, there are people that love that form factor. In fact, just, Go back to my focus group of one. My mom, she loves her iP uh, the, the iPad Mini. I mean, in fact, she'll, when she goes on trips or she goes away for yeah. a few days, she won't take her big laptop, uh, her, her her larger iPad. She'll take the iPad Mini because it's convenient. Um, yeah. You know, as you get older, you know, you're probably not that uh, you know not crazy about using bigger devices. So she loves it just to stay in touch. But so before we end this, we have to talk about my favorite topic: predictions. Anything mm -hmm. you want to chat about and. Don't tell you, can't be a bath how the Nationals are going to turn it around because I'm not going to say the Yankees are going to turn it around. They're in bad yeah, shape. Yeah, we, we got to see when Steven Strasburg comes off, uh, you know, if that, uh, what is it, shoulder, elbow tightness, uh, my fingers are crossed. Um, yeah, tech predictions. I will say, well, you know, we talked a little bit about Windows laptops. This is further in the year. I'm going to be watching to see how many Windows laptops ship with some sort of processor using the ARM architecture behind Apple Silicon. Because mm -hmm. I know at CES, HP showed off one with a Qualcomm ARM-based CPU, because it looks like that's going to be the one way you're going to match Apple's accomplishments in battery life. And yeah, Windows on ARM, you, you break compatibility with some older apps, but 
I mean, Windows and Mac OS, a lot of people spend most of their time in the browser. You just need a handful of other apps to be updated. And, you know, we talked about competition being good in broadband. It's also good in laptop and desktop processors. Yeah. And if that gets Intel to step up, that's great. That's less a prediction than, you know, watch the space six months, nine months down. Like, what do we see at IFA in September in Berlin? Assuming that goes on as scheduled. Keep your thumbs up about that because God knows yeah. I'm, I, I'd like to make sure we, we take a trip out there. The, similar to, to, you know, to your, I won't call it a prediction, but you, where, you, where you think that the, that category might be going. You know, my, uh, I had some experience last week with uh, downloading uh, the new version of Parallels on for the M1, because I've got a Mac Mini with uh, M1, with the ARM version of Windows, which you can only, by the way, download. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, I was actually very, very surprised. It ran, you know, again, I didn't do any benchmark testing on it, but it was uh, very spritey, you know, from my uh, perspective. Uh, there is some, uh, some apparently some applications limitation, although the, the core application I, I generally like to run on Windows is, is Office because there's still some yeah. different, minor differences between the, the, the Mac version of Office versus the um, Windows version of Office. But the fact that they, it's kind of weird that you're, you're running an ARM version of Windows on a Mac with M1 that in some ways runs in a superior fashion than Windows running on an x86 Intel based um, <laughs> which is ironic is the only word that, that i can think of so any thoughts on that have you well you, you don't have an m1 max so you probably haven't had no i don't yeah i mean literally i'm waiting i want apple to sell me this touch id keyboard i mean i want a mac mini with a touch id button on the front but fine i'll buy your fancy ass keyboard as well um because yeah that's what i'm waiting on but um yeah it, it's interesting to see for just decades, we've assumed Intel is this, this rock on which the PC business is built. Maybe that's not the case anymore, not even in Windows. Well, so your message is, uh, if Tim Cook is watching this podcast, please, uh, as quickly as possible, get a biometric sensor in, in and, a... And don't go so cheap on the storage and the thing, will you, man? I'll pay when I go back to San Jose in a couple of weeks. If I see him over lunch, I'll I'll, I'll mention that. Please but do, listen, yeah. Hey, Rob, listen, thank you for calling into the podcast. Uh, to yep. the more insights and strategy audience, please follow the Smart Tech Talk podcast. Uh, please like us if you go onto YouTube and, and, and watch it. Uh, please follow us on our usual social media partner suspect list, um, guys, and that's uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great weekend. Thanks, Rob. Thanks.